Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, November 14th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer, Spytran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. It's you. This is going to be like the last time we hear you for like a long time. I know. I'm going to be gone for two weeks because I'm going to Vietnam with my grandmother. And I'm staying at my aunt's house and uh, doing just um, my first visit to Vietnam in like 15 years. The last and first time I ever went was uh, when I was in middle school. So if you guys want to know how young I am, <laughs> last decade I crawled from the womb as I tweeted to Chris. <laughs> That's exciting though. I would love to go yeah. to Vietnam. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be a long uh, flight to so think about like 18 hours or so. So um, I'm going to pre- prepare to watch a lot of movies all the way. So hopefully I'll have even more built up when I come back for the water cooler. Yeah, 
Very cool. Okay, let's dive into what we've been doing. I, this last week, went to the grand opening of Funko's new Hollywood store. For those of you who don't know, Funko is the people that produce those uh, cute little pop figures that you see all over the place. They are based in Washington, like about a, uh, an hour outside of Seattle. And when they were building their new headquarters, because Funko basically has the licenses for everything and is making so much money, uh, they built like this big store underneath it. And I have not been there, but I've heard it's incredible. Uh, I don't think they expected it to be as popular as it is. Uh, it's like 1,700 square feet or 17,000 square feet. and uh, But people, you know, it's become a destination. When people travel to Seattle, people make the trek an hour out of Seattle to visit the store because it's filled with like these life-size pop and recreations of like uh, – parts of movies and TV shows and video games. It's it's very much like an Instagrammer's, like, uh, dream. So uh, they have opened their, I think, their second store. And this one's in Hollywood. It's in the heart of Hollywood on Hollywood Boulevard. It's right next to the Pantages Theater. I think it officially opens this week. But we went to, like, a, a, me and Ketra went to a grand opening reception. Uh, like, uh, a bunch of big-name people were there. Uh, uh, Zoe um, Saldana was there. Yeah. So, anyways, this was uh, this store is forty thousand square feet. So it's almost two and a half times the size of the Seattle Seattle location, which everybody used to tell me was huge. So this place is insane. It has like something like sixteen or twenty different rooms, each designed to a theme. Like so the Marvel room is like this huge room that's. Guardians of the Galaxy theme. There's Thanos on his throne. There's uh, uh, Star Lord Gamora. There's a big Groot. It, like it, it is incredible. We recorded a video for Ordinary Adventures. I don't want this podcast to always become like I did this thing, and you can watch it on Ordinary Adventures. But you know, I the things I do, I record and put it on Ordinary Adventures, um, and you can see it there. It, it is incredible. Like I feel like this is a, a kind of thing. Like, I know those, like, Instagram, like, museums and stuff are – those pop-ups are happening all over the place. And I feel like they could have charged $20 a person to get into this place just to take the photos, and it would have had a line down the block. I, I can't imagine once it opens. I think uh, Funko did what uh, they did with Galaxy's Edge uh, at Disney. Like, they, they gave – they put uh, reservations up for fans for the first opening weekend, and those sold out within, like, minutes – uh, but I, I can just imagine this place is going to be like a madhouse. And uh, it, it's I guess when it opens when we were there, this was not functioning. But when it opens, they're actually going to have a section where you can build your own Funko Pop. So that would be cool. I, I want to try that out when I get uh, get to go back to it. But uh, yeah, so Funko has invaded Hollywood uh, as it is invading the world. If so. anybody from Funko listens to this podcast, please open the next store in Chicago. Uh, if you don't, there will be consequences. Chicago. I think the smartest thing for them would be like Times Square. That's what they should be doing. Is like yeah, Times sure. Square. Give New York more shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Times Square isn't credited enough, Peter. Yeah. Uh, Brad, did you see any of the pictures of the video from this this place? I feel like you would go I insane. I did. It looks... Yeah, it looked really fun. It looked it looked awesome, and I'm sure I would spend too much money there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the strange thing is, like, the product is, like, a much smaller part of it than, like, all those, like, photo ops. Like, there's actually a lot less product 
out there. Like, I think they, I don't know. Is I'm going to be interested to see how much stuff they sell there, uh, but they're definitely going to get people in there. And uh, this past week, I did celebrate my birthday, and uh, I Woo! did, yeah, thank you. I did so at El Coyote, which is the Mexican restaurant that was in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I had never eaten there before, and uh, that was that was fun. Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been up to, Jacob. You beat me to the Christmas tree. How did you do it? I didn't do it. So and I'm really talking about this excuse to ask a question to everybody on this podcast, which is, when is the right time to put up a Christmas tree? Because my wife and I have had this discussion for nearly a decade now, and she insists anytime after Halloween is okay. I insist it must be after Thanksgiving. And this year we negotiated a halfway point of mid-November. I'm not happy about it. She's not happy about it. But we're happy that it would have been either way. <laughs> so, uh, Peter... When is the right time? When is the appropriate window for a Christmas tree? Oh, oh, I have the definitive answer to this, Jacob, because Disneyland and Disney World put up their Christmas tree, I think, days after Halloween. So I think it's it's right, right after you take the Halloween decorations down. Ah, uh, yes. And if there's one way we should all live our lives, it's by whatever Disney does. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's how I live my life, Brad. One, one quarter theme park at a time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brad, do you disagree? When should you put your Christmas tree up? My my girlfriend and I actually had a discussion about this this year too because uh, traditionally I, I I usually put it up after Thanksgiving, not necessarily as a rule, just because I felt like that was the best time to do it. But since I I've had a growing ornament collection over the years, and it takes a lot of time to get them all arranged on the tree and everything, and I like to, like to enjoy it, I've wanted to put it up earlier and earlier. And so initially we had talked about maybe putting it up as soon as Halloween is over, but uh, we came kind of came to the same uh, settlement that Jacob and, uh, and and his wife did, which is basically to do it uh, a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. So that way we get to enjoy it for a little bit longer. It's not up immediately. Uh, you, people can enjoy it when they come over, like around Thanksgiving time to hang out. Um, so yeah, we, we haven't gotten it up yet because we're, we're, st- we're still getting certain things arranged in the rest of the, the house and the living room, just adjusted with the, you know, the art and stuff that we have on the walls, but it, the Christmas tree should be going up this coming weekend. Does anybody else feel really strongly about this? Uh, Black Friday is the official Christmas tree date and yep. I will hear, I will hear no other, <laughs> Uh, I still have my Halloween decorations up, so putting putting the tree up now seems crazy to me. Uh, but they're I, nightmare before Christmas decorations now. Ah, uh, that's true. Um, I, I guess it depends also like what kind of tree you have. Like we have a artificial tree because I am deathly allergic to real Christmas trees. So I feel like if you have a real tree, you should wait even longer, or else it's gonna die. But if it's artificial. I think the day after Thanksgiving is the day to do it. I've never heard of anybody being allergic to Christmas trees. That's crazy. It's true. I, when I was growing up, we always had a real tree. And every year, right at, right around Christmas, I would get terribly sick. And we couldn't figure out why. And then one year, uh, we went to a doctor. And he was like, it might be your Christmas tree. And we stopped getting real trees. And I never got sick again. Around Christmas time. Wow. wow. Well, bonus question. Artificial trees are bust. Uh, real trees are a pain in the butt. They shed. Your animals destroy them, and they're overpriced. So buy one tree, use it for 10 years. That's actually yeah. my – that's the only way to yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah I, well, I like having the artificial tree because it's easy. You don't have to go out every year, and ours has like a 
like the lights are built into it, so I don't have to like put lights on it every year. I'm lazy. That's yeah. what I'm saying. My, my, mine's that too. I think the only thing I miss is the smell. And I know there's some like ways. Like I've gotten like those ornaments that like have like the like a stick of like pine smell, but those don't really work. But again, not to bring things back to Disney, but I, all all roads at. <laughs> Peter's house lead back to Disneyland. Uh, at Disneyland, they have a Christmas shop, and they had like last time I was in there, I was like, "Oh my god, it smells so much like Christmas in here!" And I, I saw in the corner they had this like little machine that looked like a miniature fog machine that was like letting out like this pine, you know, scent, a scent of Christmas. So now I I, I want to buy one of those. A Scent of Christmas should be a Netflix Christmas movie. <laughs> it, it probably already is. Probably already, yeah, I was about to say, it probably already is. Ben, we haven't heard from you. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with Chris. I think it's it's Black Friday. Uh, last year, my wife and I initiated this, uh, what, is, be, what is now becoming an annual tradition of what we're calling Vince Garal Day, where we start listening to uh, the Vince Garaldi trio's uh, A Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack, and yeah. like, all, by, by extension, all Christmas music uh, on Black Friday, and that's when we go out and put up our tree and all that stuff. So we, we're really like avoiding all things Christmas until that day. HT, do you celebrate Christmas? I love Christmas. I am already in the Christmas spirit, although I ha- it's interrupted by this trip. But as soon as November hits, it's all Christmas songs. I am very excited about this holiday. It just fills me with childhood nostalgia and warmth. And um, I didn't get to decorate last year because I was in and out of my apartment um, during the Christmas season, but I hope to do um, to do some decoration. Uh, and maybe we'll get on board with one of those like Charlie Brown Christmas trees because they're like really cute and it's only one ornament. So, and it's sort of a nice look, um, but I'm on board the real Christmas tree uh, trend because for much of my childhood, we had an artificial tree and I it was just so worn down looking and a little sad and so <laughs> once we started getting real Christmas trees I don't know like five six years ago it just was very exciting to me like the novelty of it and I still stand by real Christmas trees yeah I also have a small Christmas tree as well I have like one of those not like Charlie Brown sad but the the, the, <laughs> sm- the smaller mini Christmas tree which because I, I have a droid shelf uh, in my kitchen area, like there's a shelf, of, there's a there's a shelf of wine, and above the wine, which we never drink, uh, there is a lot of like Star Wars droid figures, and because of that, like we had so many, we realized we had so many Star Wars droid ornaments because Kitra and I both love the droids that we like decided to get this mini Christmas tree and make it a droid tree. So so we we not have we not only have one tree but two trees. I will say this. If you do have a fake tree, one of my friends has, like, a fake tree that, like, is on, like, a turntable of some kind. So it's turning, like, slowly throughout the night, and that way you're not missing the ornaments that are on the other side. What do you make of that? I would like to do that because I like displaying my ornaments, but I also worry that that will taunt my cat. (laughs) Yeah. Has your cat ever jumped in the tree? He did when it was his. It was like the first time that I put the tree up after I had him. He uh, would jump, jump in it. He never climbed like to the top or anything, but there there was enough space towards the bottom where he. I came home one time and he, or I got up in the middle of the night one time and he was basically in it at the bottom and just looking at me like, uh oh. <laughs> 
Jacob, uh, not to derail this any further, <laughs> but what is your favorite Christmas ornament that you have? Oh goodness! My mother gave me an ornament uh, every year of my life until I until and she still does every Christmas I get, I get a new ornament. So well, I, I have you know thirty something ornaments uh, that all have sentimental value to me. Uh, but if I had to choose a favorite, it would be one that she had made in 1988. That when I was born, that's just a oh, wow. wooden baby carriage that has written on it Jacob 1988, and it just every year it gets put up. Aww. See, I, I, I was expecting it was going to be some kind of, like, universal monster thing, but you, you, you hit us in the heart, Jacob. Okay, uh, let's move on to Brad. Brad, what have you been up to? Uh, I, I got mad recently because we got a winter storm. Like, there was a full-on winter storm morning, and we got several inches of snow, and it is November, and this is ridiculous. I know I live in the Midwest, but this is it, – it, it's been awful. The snow is – been annoying it's been cold enough that it hasn't all melted uh i i was not prepared to deal with this so soon and as somebody who loves christmas but hates snow it's uh it's just a bad time to be here right now not happy about it that's all i wanted to say wait so when do the christmas uh, like the the winter storms begin usually we we usually don't get any like heavy snow or winter storm warnings until like late december into january there's usually some light flurries here and there but they don't really stick around much but it is it is rare that we get snow like that this early in november so it makes me worry that this season's going to suck well guess what you have a lot of streaming services to watch <clears throat> when uh you're shut in so that's that's a good point good news hd uh you've been preparing for your trip yeah, well, I've been trying to, but uh, I keep getting waylaid by other plans, and now I don't have any plans for Vietnam yet, which is a little bit uh, nerve-wracking for me, But because I usually like to plan uh, a really involved itinerary whenever I travel. But um, I will be staying with my aunt in Hanoi, and she'll be showing me around for a little bit, so that's it's not going to be too much of a loss. And we're also planning to go to a cruise at the Halong, Halong Bay, which is one of the most... Uh, beautiful places in Vietnam and maybe in uh, Southeast Asia at least. So I'm excited to go there. And um, I've been wanting to do sort of solo trips on my own because I'm traveling with my grandmother, so she won't be able to travel as much as I would want to. Um, but I'm looking into doing some maybe tours that are being held by hostels or um, other just like tours that you can do on your on your like solo. So uh, if you guys have any knowledge about traveling to Vietnam um, and have any like tips or recommendations for solo tours, let me know that are out of Hanoi anyways, like a little nice day trips. So uh, yeah, let me know. Um, hit me up on Instagram at hchanbui or on my Twitter. You should, uh... Did you say you were going to be in Illinois? <laughs> <laughs> You, you should ping uh, Jordan Voigt Roberts. Like, doesn't he live there now? He like fell in love with Vietnam, so he moved there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Actually, we uh, I think we're mutuals, so maybe I'll just yeah. ask him. Be like, hey, what's up? I was actually gonna point that out because I was gonna suggest that you should do a cave tour, HD, mm. because I remember seeing some of his photos on Instagram when he was, I think, scouting for Kong Skull Island, uh, Kong Skull Island, and there were some incredible like uh, cave. F- photos that he took where he went on a tour or something so that might be worth looking into okay that's cool okay let's move on to what we've been reading jacob what have you been reading uh my goal to read everything from stephen king i have not read yet by may continues i read probably one of the least essential stephen king uh stories of all times blockade billy 
uh, came out, goodness, probably close to a decade ago. And it's a bit of a cheat because it's actually a novella. It's less than 100 pages long. It was published as a hardcover book. And it's really just Stephen King's uh, uh, ode to baseball. It's set in the 50s and old-time baseball talk with a possibly sinister character at the center of a uh, of a baseball team in the 50s. And give you an idea of how non-essential this is. A revised version of this was later republished in a short story collection. <laughs> so even though it's a standalone book with its own cover art and, uh, and, and published all by itself for a not for not a novella price for like practically a full novel price, unless you're an absolute Stephen King completist, you can probably skip Blockade Billy and or at least read the read the collection of short stories where it belongs and it can read it. It reads as a pretty okay short story, but as an actual book that you spent money on as a hardcover. Uh, hard pass. Chris, am I right about this one? Chris? Did Chris uh, die? No. no, I'm alive. <laughs> Jesus, Peter. I don't God. know. I'm barely alive, but I'm here. Um, uh, yeah, Black A. Billy is fine. It, it doesn't... I think I read it actually from the library because I, uh, I got it from the library once to read it and that's like the best way to read it because you don't have to pay for it and then you can you can finish you can probably read it at the library while you're waiting in line and then by the time you finish it just drop it right in the return thing and leave the library <laughs> by the way has ever like when I was a kid I used to not go to the library because the library didn't have the good stuff I'd go to like Barnes and Nobles and they used to have like those like comfortable chairs and I would just like end up reading full books there like am I the only one the that good did that? stuff what's the good stuff Peter that the library didn't have I don't know the <laughs> Peter, junk I that actually, I wanted I relate the to that Ewok really movies uh, because I my entire middle school and high school life was made up of going to Barnes and Noble, buying a Frappuccino and sitting at the manga section and reading the entire section there. Uh, yeah, actually, so. that, that that's part of it. Graphic novels, Chris. Like they my, have, my library did not have now. good graphic novels. Libraries well, we, grew up. Yeah, libraries are valuable institutions and we should cherish them, Peter. They are. I don't know. I'm just make picturing you, the library. Make your next Ordinary Adventures video at the Library. library. Peter, I you demand get, it. You can get audiobooks I mean, and ebooks at the library too. Peter, start start our long in discussion Patreon with a first episode of Ordinary Adventures at the Library. <laughs> I, I will say this: if, if we did do an Ordinary Adventures trip to the library, that would be the most ordinary adventure of them all. <laughs> I would want to watch just to hear you whisper while you walk around. No. <laughs> finally, yeah. live up to the title of the channel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to what we've been watching. So in previous weeks, you may have heard everybody, almost everybody on this podcast, uh, basically give high praise to Parasite. Uh, and the last two people, we, we, we finally, me and Brad finally got bullied into seeing this movie. And uh, and I didn't like it. No, no, that's a lie. I, I love this film. Uh, I think this might be my second favorite movie of the year. Uh, I would highly recommend. I, I'm not sure what I can say that hasn't already been said by you guys, but uh, I would highly recommend everybody go out and see this. Like, I feel like this is not just a great film, but it's it's worth seeing in theaters to like, have that communal experience of uh, the reveals and the tension and like experiencing that stuff along with other people, and also you know bringing a friend along to have a conversation after you leave. I will say this: no spoilers. I kind of do not like the last 10 minutes of the movie, so that's why I don't think it's a perfect film, but uh, we can talk about that later at some point with spoilers. Brad, what did you think? 
yeah, I uh, was totally floored by this movie. Uh, I loved it so much. I, you know, wasn't sure if it was going to live up to the hype. Uh, but this movie has so many great story turns, outstanding performances. It's not easy to describe what this movie is either because it contains so much. It is, it's hilarious and shocking and suspenseful and emotional uh, and beautiful and so well shot. And there's just there's so many things that happen in it. And like I had, just, it was just it really is like one of those things where the, the the phrase gets thrown around in a very cliche way, but it really is a roller coaster of emotions as you go through this movie. Um, I yeah, I just I found myself like. To gasping and being totally caught off guard and like holding my like my head in my hands like oh my god what is what's going on um it, it's just it's fantastic it really is an incredible movie i'm not sure where it'll be at on my top 10 I, it'll end up being close to the top um i still have to see some other things and figure that out but uh definitely one of my favorites of the year okay uh let's talk about the mandalorian because it seems like almost everybody has watched the mandalorian uh jacob let's start with you because you saw uh, the first episode, right? Yeah, the first episode. Uh, I think Mandalorian is a very cool show. I'm not sure if it's a good show, but it's a very cool show that I enjoyed watching. I, I like that it's a lean 40 minutes, maybe even 39 minutes without credits. It does not waste my time. There's no fat on it. It doesn't have that streaming issue of just trying to pad things out. It's just direct, simple action show full of really, really cool things happening constantly. With that said, I'm not convinced... I'm not convinced a non-Star Wars fan would could watch this and get anything out of it. Uh, my wife, who who's seen every Star Wars movie, watched it and enjoyed it, but was kind of confused by it. I kind of explained what Mandalore was and had to explain uh, like when it was taking place and a lot of like Star Wars stuff that's basic for fans, but for like you know casual fans is not really explained. And the Mandalorian himself is super cool. He's like just a cool. He, he looks cool. He does cool things. I'm not so sure why I, why I should care about him yet. I'm 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 in for the season. Uh, this is a really damn cool show, uh, and I'm thrilled to see you know Star Wars on the small screen, looking this cool, set in the criminal underworld. It's all stuff that young me dreamed about seeing, but adult me is concerned that it is just a cool show and not a good show. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I think I liked it even less than you, but I didn't dislike it. It's not a bad show. It's just very much there. It's like oh. That's a thing that exists. Like when it was over, I wasn't like, I can't wait to see where this goes. I was just like, all right. And even like at 39 minutes, I thought it was like too long. I was like, this should be like what? 10 minutes shorter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, you have more I, liked, I liked Werner Herzog. That was the best part of the show. <laughs> I wish the whole show was just him saying Star Wars words. Like when he says like <laughs> Parsec and he's like, we only have a tracking fob. Just like stuff like that. I was like, I can watch this all day. But everything else is just like, yeah, whatever. Well, I have a feeling we're going to get more of him, Chris. So that's the good news. Um, ben, what did you think? Yeah, I I guess I'm somewhere in between. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it looked fantastic. Like I, you know, I bought a 4K TV not too long ago. And this is like one of the, I think this might look better than any other thing that I've watched on the TV because I, I've streamed stuff in 4K before, but I don't, I don't have a 4K uh, blu-ray player so i i don't regularly watch stuff that way unless it happens to be streaming in 4k and i think just the you know the production design the the cinematography the visual effects which are really really i mean they're they're basically movie level um all of that just looked so crisp and so outstanding so um, none, none yeah. of you are mentioning the music what the well, hell yeah 
of course yeah the the music is fantastic too and it, it reminded me of like uh so when when it first really kicks in is when uh in the very beginning of the episode when the mandalorian sort of appears in that bar and like that circular door opens and his theme plays for the first time and it reminded me of like uh the wonder woman theme like this thing that just sort of comes out of nowhere and it is like so unexpected and different and i i love that sound uh you know spread throughout this whole episode it it just feels like uh ludwig gorenson who did the music for black panther and a bunch of other stuff is just like having a lot of fun making music in this world and making stuff that doesn't sound like any other star wars stuff too so it's it's but it also like really works for uh you know the, yeah. the narrative that they have so um I, I that's like one of the the visuals and the music and the the casting i think are the things that i appreciated most and you know in terms of like the story and the narrative i was just sort of like i wasn't super impressed with it but i'm I, i'm rarely impressed with the narrative and and story decisions of pilots because i know that they have so much setup to do and I, i'm more willing to give shows a little bit of extra time to um to sort of find their way once they set themselves up in a, in a pilot. So uh, I guess maybe that's a good transition to you, Peter, because yeah. you got, got to see a couple more episodes, right? Yeah. Uh, before that, I just want to mention, if you haven't, uh, me and Brad, uh, joined by Brian Young, who is like one of the most smart, like the, the most knowledgeable people I know in of the Star Wars canon, uh, recorded a spoiler episode that we published earlier this week. And I feel like uh, that episode, I, I, diving into the spoilers, I think helps you appreciate it a little bit more. That said, uh, I did get to last night go to the world premiere of The Mandalorian, which took place a day and a half after the show already premiered to the world. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Uh, I'm guessing it had to do with schedules and stuff like that. Uh, but they showed, they did a Q&A, and then they showed the first three episodes. So I got to see the first episode again, and then chapter two and three. I will say that the, for those people who thought that, like, the, you know, the first episode was short, all the episodes are short so far. <laughs> so uh, there's n- there's no fat. I, I actually That's was left news. wanting more with the, the, the next two in terms of, like, I, I felt... Like one of them felt like it was like thirty minutes. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't time it, so I don't know. Uh, I will say this: like Jacob, you, you giving your list of criticisms of this series, it feels like Chapter Two addresses most of those criticisms. That's really good in, to hear. In, in, a, in a major way, uh, I do agree with you. Like one of the big faults of the show is this guy is underneath a mask. It's hard to relate it's hard to care about this guy like we don't learn much about him and uh i'm not saying that we learned a ton about him in (laughs) chapter two and chapter three but uh obviously where chapter one leaves things off it starts a new relationship which i think is the heart and core of this show and you'll care because of that relationship and uh uh chapter two which i guess is going to come out what tonight on Disney Plus, it's Thursday we're recording this. Um, is uh, it's so big? It's directed by uh, Rick Fumiyama. Is that how you pronounce his name? I think. Uh, Fum- yeah, uh, he directed Dope, which we saw at Sundance. We love that film, and this is incredible. Like, I, I really like. I was so hyped a- after this this episode. Like, it's just so big. It 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 has so many Star Wars creatures. The story is fun and it has some funny moments and it's uh i will say this and i'm a big fan of dave 
Filoni, uh, who did the Clone Wars with George Lucas, and then he went on to do Star Wars Rebels. And he's a master storyteller. Uh, the first episode of The Mandalorian was his uh, live-action directorial debut, and I feel I, I feel bad saying this, but I don't feel like it's, it's, it's a great... Uh, like I feel like it suffers because of that. Like you're it, it, tonally, it's a little bit all over the place, and it, uh, the action isn't directed like you know amazingly. It, seeing the second episode, it, it's like oh, this is what the show is, and I I think uh, I remember after seeing this because uh, Ketra had the same reaction I think as maybe you or your wife Jacob. Uh, and I, I after seeing these two episodes it's like Kitra's gonna lose her shit at these episodes um so i'm excited for everybody to see these because i i think the this will address some criticisms what went over chris i don't know we'll have to see uh but okay uh what else have we been watching uh, uh i i uh disney plus came out so i i spent some time on that service um, I talked about that a little bit yesterday. I watched uh, the first episode of Pixar in real life, and this is a weird idea. It's like a short form thing where they uh, they put Pixar things in real life. It's kind of like a prank show of some kind where like I, I, the first episode is they're in a park in New York City and the control panel from inside inside out is just randomly there and people go up to it and start pressing buttons like they press the anger button and then the stuff around them there's like actors around them that like you know if they press the anger button like two people around them start having like an argument and stuff i don't know it's a weird show i don't know who this is for it almost feels like it was meant to be like like a viral video on youtube to help like promote disney it doesn't feel like a show that anybody would pay to watch and see uh but i don't know it's only five minutes so there's that uh the other thing i discovered that was on this service i'm actually kind of i'm a lot of people i see online are praising disney plus for how much it has i'm actually on the opposite side of things and i'm usually the disney fanboy i'm surprised at how much it doesn't have like i'm searching the service i i searched disneyland and there was like only one special on like disneyland outside of imagineering story like on the service which is like insane to me because they have so many hundreds of hours of disneyland specials that were recorded over the years uh the one that they do have is disneyland around the seasons i have never seen this before and this one is it aired during the one uh wonderful world world of color on tv and this i think aired like a decade after the opening of disneyland it's, it's walt uh, giving these intros and outros, uh, like he's in Imagineering, walking through and talking about how they made stuff. But it it's really about this, like this eleventh year of Disneyland and like everything that's been added and changed and it going through the seasons and it, it just you you get to see like uh the opening of a small world, uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln, the opening of New Orleans Square. Uh, the primeval world, the Christmas parade. It, it's just great to see all this vintage footage from Disneyland, like people like watching a parade with like a cigarette in their mouth and all these old people. Uh, it's just like, I don't know, it, as a theme park fanatic, I think anybody who's a theme park fanatic should check this out. Uh, it is also interesting that um, 
it's seeing some of the things like there's a moment like they're, they're opening a small world and Walt has brought children from around the world to Anaheim. Each have brought like a, a vial of water to pour into the it's a small world boat. Uh, you know, it's a boat ride. So like into the thing as part of the ceremony. And I think I recently remember hearing or reading that actually all those kids are just from like Anaheim dressed up. Like people from around the world, and then the water was just like Anaheim tap water that they put in there. So it's it's funny to uh, to to watch that, seeing that like as it's like this huge publicity stunt that they like brought everybody together, and it's it's really uh no, it's it's kind of bad. Uh, but uh I, yeah, I would recommend it. Disneyland around the seasons. Uh, those are the two things I saw on Disney Plus. Uh, Brad, what have you been watching? Uh, in addition to Parasite, I uh, finally got around to seeing Jojo Rabbit. I was really excited to see this. Uh, I love everything that Taika has done as a filmmaker so far. And since this was, you know, a, a satire that has some uh, heart behind it and a coming-of-age story, it's, it's right in my, my sweet spot. And, of course, I came away loving this movie. Um, it is such a fantastic combination of like skewering satire of Nazis, but also sudden bursts of emotion and, and heart wrenching, uh, just pain. Uh, it's, it's sometimes like you get whiplash, but from how quickly it goes from doing something goofy and hilarious to something that really pulls at your heartstrings. Um, but it never feels like it's a mess or it doesn't know what it is. Taika knew exactly what he was doing with this movie. Um, he's hilarious in it as, as Hitler, uh, the main kid in this movie is fantastic. It's just, it is such a, a wonderful movie. And unfortunately, it is so necessary for the time that we are living in. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those movies that I, I think that is just a, a perfect thing for, for the entire world right now. I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I think everybody here that has seen it so far has really liked it. Chris is, a, I think, the mega fan out of the bunch. Uh, what else have you been watching? Uh, so my girlfriend and I decided to watch Let It Snow on Netflix, which is one of the many new holiday movies coming to the, the streaming service, uh, for the holiday season. And man, this movie is bad. Uh, it's basically trying to be love actually for Midwest teenagers. For some reason, all the characters don't have any parents that they're doing anything with on Christmas Eve. Uh, all the characters, like, stories interconnect, but in really lazy, uninspiring ways. The movie is not funny. The actors don't have chemistry. And it's really a shame because it has some talented young people in it. It's got uh, Shimmy Moore in it. It's got um, uh, Isabella Monaire. And it's got, um, what is the name of the girl who is the new Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Kiernan Shipka. Yes, Kiernan Shipka from Mad Men. Uh, she, she's in it, and... Uh, they are very talented people, but this movie is not good. The, the only redeeming quality of it is Joan Cusack in a, a very odd role. And she made me laugh several times when she was on screen just because of her. But the movie is just bad all around. Like It, it feels like a, a movie that desperately needs uh, several rewrites. And I feel like one of the biggest problems Netflix has, and I think that I've brought this up before, is that oftentimes their comedies feel like they need a day's session of punch-ups from full-on comedians. Uh, that's something that studios do with like action movies and things like that. They, they have a day where they 
bring the script in and they have a bunch of comedians come in and they have like a round table session and they figure out where they can possibly add jokes. They do it with, they even do it with animated movies and, and things like that. And for some reason, Netflix's comedies always feel like they need that, that there's just not enough genuine comedy in them. And yeah, so if, uh, I, I don't, I just don't like this movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what would you recommend instead, Brad? Uh, anything else. Okay. Like, I, go out, go outside and slap yourself with a snow shovel, and it's better than let it snow. What about Hobbs and Shaw? I, I Chris oh. saw Hobbs and Shaw. Like, is that a better option? Absolutely. <laughs> Chris, what did you think of Hobbs and Shaw? Uh, well, speaking of comedies that needed punch up, um, <laughs> look, I'm not a big Fast and Furious fan, so I wasn't like going into Hobbs and Shaw being like, oh, I hope this is true to the fast and furious franchise like i don't really care about that so i was just hoping for like a dumb fun action movie and the action is fine and idris elba is fine and vanessa kirby is fine but the movie itself oh my god like this is a movie that really thinks it's really funny and it's really not like there are endless scenes where the rock and jason statham are like quote unquote bantering but the banter is so bad like there's this part where they they first meet up early in the movie and it, it's just them like insulting each other and it goes on for like seven hours where it just keeps cutting to their faces being like i hate your voice and i was just like this is bad this needs to end and it wouldn't it just kept going <laughs> so hobbs and shaw i don't think i will be revisiting it anytime soon um oh, chris what about the plane scene where they insult each other again for 10 minutes like two hours in oh my god it just end like <laughs> like you could have made like a fun movie out of this material because it's you know it's an unapologetically silly movie but it thinks it's it's really funny and it's really not and it just it, it's just like these character like, I know these actors can be funny with the right material, but none of them have that material here, and it, it, it really lets them down. Um, speaking of things that are bad, I also watched The Kitchen, which is uh, has a really great cast. It has, you know, Melissa McCarthy and Elizabeth Moss, and it's, you know... What, it, what, it's, what is this movie for people that don't know? Um, it's basically a lot like Widows in that it's about wives of criminals who band together to uh, become criminals themselves. But whereas I think Widows is one of the best movies of last year, this is just awful. Um, <laughs> and this came out and it, it sort of like vanished from theaters almost immediately. And I understand why now having seen it because it's it wastes such a good cast and such a good premise um, the only thing I liked about it was like it has a cool sort of like because it's set in the 70s. So it has like a 70s visual style to it, which I thought was OK. And Elizabeth Moss does the best out of anyone here with the material she has. But other than that, this is um, if you miss this in theaters, I would suggest to continue missing it because it's not really worth anything. Uh, <laughs> finally, one thing I watched that is good is, uh, there's this new Netflix docu-series called The Devil Next Door, and this is very good and very disturbing, um, it's a docu-series, it's a true story, obviously, uh, it's about this man named John Demoniak, who, um, was living in Cleveland, uh, in, um, I think it was like the 70s, and it suddenly came out that he was p potentially this infamous, 
uh, Nazi concentration camp guard. And he swore up and down that this was a case of mistaken identity, but there was a lot of evidence suggesting he was this guy. So he got extradited to um, Israel to go on trial. And, you know, it covers everything, you know, from the accusation to the trial and onward. Um, I don't want to give too much away, even though it shouldn't be a spoiler because it's history, but uh, it's, it's very engrossing. It's very disturbing. And, you know, if, if, if you're into like that sort of true crimey, disturbing thing as, as me and my wife are, uh, it's definitely worthwhile checking out. Jacob, you beat me to the Christmas tree and you also beat me to the Irishman. Oh, Peter, this movie is magnificent. I mean, I, I feel like, I've reached a point where when a new Martin Scorsese movie's on the horizon, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Scorsese. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. Then you watch it. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's a master. And The Irishman, it really bowled me over and not for ways I was expecting because it's three and a half hours long and it flies by. I mean, it, it has that good Goodfellas pacing where things are happening constantly at, a, at such a rock and roll rhythm that you get caught up in it and, it, and, the, and like the hours fly. And But – the beauty of the Irishman is that for the first, you know, two and a half hours, you're watching Martin Scorsese play his greatest hits wonderfully, revisiting all the things that people associate with him. You know, the the crackling editing, the extreme violence, the unexpected dark comedy, great characters, voiceover narration, talking to the camera. And then in the last hour, it becomes a different movie in the right way, where it just becomes so introspective. It becomes a movie about uh, mort- uh, mortality and aging. I'm reminded so much of Terry Gilliam's Man Kill Don Quixote, which is a movie I like, even though most people didn't. And that both films are about filmmakers who were in their 70s who are clearly dealing with, you know, their legacies and thinking about the end of their lives uh, on screen. And both films are feature lead characters who are old men, you know, facing the end of their physical existence and wondering what comes next. What do I leave behind? What matters when I die? And have Scorsese you know, sort of lull you in with a good time, a really rollicking gangster movie, and then abruptly take you into a journey into what he what, what he's afraid of the most, which is, you know, what becomes of the soul when the body fails you, which is something he's revisited time and time again in his work, but never so bluntly here, where the characters are literally aging before your eyes using that digital aging technology. I, I, I know there's a lot of headlines about, you know, does, does do, do, do the visual effects work, and they're, but they do, and they're necessary, because the movie takes place over the course of you know decades and decades, and watching these characters played by the same actors age between scenes and slowly watching them become old men whose bodies have failed them is heartbreaking. And it's clear that Martin Scorsese, being in his late 70s, is thinking about what becomes of me when I am this old. What do I leave behind? And and I was so on board for a good time with the movies, and it is that for so long. But then this leads to this absolutely devastating final act where I was just torn apart by it. And I know this is coming to Netflix soon, but I really recommend if you can see some theaters, take the opportunity because it's a, it's a marathon viewing. It deserves to be seen in one sitting, not at home with distractions. So The Irishman, second favorite film of the year, right behind Parasite. It, it is one of Scorsese's best movies in a long time. See, th- this shows my laziness here, Jacob, because, you know, I missed my screenings that were the advanced screenings. And now it's only playing in theaters that are not AMC theaters. And I have AMC A-list and I almost refuse to pay money to go to the movies if it's not something I could see at AMC. Uh, Netflix is sending me screeners. I've gotten so many screeners from Netflix, like these DVD screeners, 
which are like the most wasteful like let's stop banning plastic straws let's ban netflix screeners like everybody who's getting netflix screeners has netflix netflix like if you're gonna send us a screener at least send us a screener of the irishman okay anyways i'm gonna get off my uh uh place of privilege (laughs) uh film critic privilege uh rant that is ridiculous which i totally acknowledge is ridiculous uh but uh yeah i gotta see the irishman but uh, you make a good point should i should I make the track? When does it hit Netflix? Uh, November 27th. And, and Peter, I really think it's worth it because I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big. I'm going to watch it either way. But yeah, if I'm at home, it, we could pause it to go to the bathroom or something. A, a movie this long deserves your, your constant rapt attention. Yeah, I, just, I feel like as a serious movie fan, Peter, I think you owe it to yourself to see some theaters. Yeah. I mean, that's how Martin Scorsese says he would want me to see it, right? So. Yeah, and, and, and uh, Martin Scorsese knows more about cinema than you and I and everyone else's podcast put together. So make him happy, Peter. By the way, Werner Herzog at the Q&A last night of The Mandalorian called The Mandalorian Cinema. So so take that, <laughs> Scorsese. Okay, anyways, uh, you also were watching some Disney Plus stuff. Yeah, I, I, I dove into Disney Plus after Mandalorian. I watched the first episode of The Imagineering Story, which Peter and Brad talked about previously. I will echo their sentiments. It is very good. It was very entertaining. Uh, if you already are a theme park fanatic, there's nothing new here. It is a repackaging of familiar information. Uh, but having all one place is, is fun. And the archival footage, like, restored for the first time is incredible. It's just jaw-dropping to see the construction of Disneyland in the 50s. And behind the scenes at Imagineering Workshop, all, like, the stunning, loving restored footage. I do think it's hilarious how they try to sidestep every negative aspect of Walt Disney possible. They, um sidestep his union busting they sidestep his, him being uh dangerously anti-communist to the point of you know naming the of naming names they sidestep the fact that his epcot project was insane and it's probably a good thing he never tried to build it but if you're a fan of theme park uh history imagining story is uh incredibly entertaining and if you are a casual fan you're gonna learn a lot if you're already uh well read just go for the footage it is still worth it uh, I also revisited two movies uh, on Disney Plus. Frozen. Uh, hey guys, uh, Frozen is still good. Uh, I think Frozen commits a few cardinal sins, which is that it does not have a, a song in its last half hour. And for a musical, it's inexcusable. Like, there's no final reprise. The last song is the troll song, which is a bad song. It's a, it's a the worst. It, no musical should end. Which no, no musical should have the last song in the, in the movie be the worst song in the movie. But, like, I do not understand why when everyone's ice skating happily at the end, they don't do a, re- a reprise of, do you want to build a snowman? I don't know why it doesn't happen. Call me, Disney. I'll fix your musicals. But um, other than that, uh, Frozen's still great. Let It Go, still a great song. No, no amount of overplay can kill Let It Go. Uh, also, speaking of movies I like that are also fundamentally flawed, I revisited Star Wars The Force Awakens. I think the first 30 to 40 minutes of this movie is the best Star Wars maybe has ever been. Uh, but once Finn and Rey leave Jakku, and the story kind of gets convoluted and falls apart. It just starts really stumbling over itself. But no amount of credit can be given to J- James Moore for Ray, Finn, Kylo Ren, BB-8, Poe Dameron. What an incredible group of characters. This movie is, establishes them so quickly and so well. But by that first half hour, you're so on board with all of them in a way that just... I can't think of another movie that lives up to the hype of trying to say, okay, welcome to your favorite universe. Here are new characters you're going to love them right away, and you do. So I wish Force Awakens lives up to the potential of its first third or so, but I, this movie still works, and those characters are just 
like chef's kiss great. Like I, I can't JJ Abrams for whatever whatever flaws he may have, one of the best eyes for actors in Hollywood. So Force Awakens, still good. Yeah. I actually think it's better than that, but better than what you're giving it credit, but I do feel like it does fall uh, you know, in that second half a little bit. Uh Ben, what have you been watching? So I went to the Arclight and saw a screening of Honey Boy, and there was a Q&A with Shia LaBeouf afterwards. Uh, Honey Boy is the movie that he wrote. Uh, I think Brad saw this at Sundance. Chris, did you see this at Sundance as well? I did, and I loved it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember, um, yeah, at least one of you really, really liking it a lot. And uh, so I, I loved I, it, too. I loved it, too. Yeah, so I went in, uh, I guess, with higher expectations um, and sort of came away, like, more impressed with the movie instead of uh, in love with it. I think it has really, really phenomenal performances. That's, like, the big selling point. Um, To me, it it sort of feels like a cinematic therapy session, and um, I think it's, like, such a personal movie for Shia LaBeouf because the entire film is about him and his childhood and like him it's really like you can feel him working out his issues and it it must have been an incredibly cathartic thing for him to to um you know write this movie and then also play his own father who was sort of abusive to him when he was a kid um that had to be just a a really like profound transformational experience on a on a human level in terms of uh a movie it sort of feels more like a um I don't know, almost like an exercise than than uh, like a, a traditional film. But uh, I, I think a lot of people are going to relate to a lot of aspects of this because there's, you know, even just from a level of like um, being a child of divorce or something, there's some stuff in here where the young version of Shia, who's played by Noah Jupe from A Quiet Place, um, and, and he is really like next level good. I think he's going to be like, if he keeps this up, he's going to be like one of the you know, next, uh, next generation movie stars for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, just a scene where he is like caught in between his mother who you never see in the movie and, uh, Shia LaBeouf playing his own dad is, is just like, I mean, you feel for this kid, you've the, the emotions are there in this movie. I just didn't really, um, I don't know. I, I always felt like at arm's length from it for some reason. So uh, I don't know. That could just be me. But uh, that's Honey Boy. It's in theaters right now if you want to check that out. Um, I also saw Waves, which is Trey Edward Schultz's new movie. He's the guy who made uh, It Comes at Night which and uh, a, mo- a movie called uh, Krisha, I think. And I've never seen either of his first two movies. So this is the first film that i have seen of his and um wow this this thing i mean talk about an emotional gut punch like i don't know if you guys have seen waves i i'm hesitant to even give away anything about it because i didn't really know anything about it going in other than it's the story of a family and that's like as basic i I just heard it was very good so i went to go see it and um yeah i I think i'm i'm really just gonna kind of leave it at that in terms of the story but uh it is it is a very, very, um, like, uh, so, uh, what's his name? Sterling K. Brown is like the patriarch of this family and just, uh, give this dude all of the Oscars, all of the everything. Like he is incredible in this movie. Um, it's, it's a, I would definitely recommend watching it. It's, uh, it's an, 
it's a non-traditional film. I'll just sort of leave it at that and tease it that way. Uh, it's an A24 movie, so they have their stamp on it. And, and if you liked their stuff, then maybe that'll give you some idea of sort of like the, the stylistic realm in which this thing falls. Um, I will say the one complaint that I really had about the movie is there are several shots where the camera spins around, uh, not just in an entire 360, but continues to go beyond that. And that is my least favorite thing in any, like that's my least favorite filmmaking technique is the, the fully rotating camera. Like that's why I think I don't love Goodfellas as much as everybody else. There's like a lot of that in, in uh, that movie, if I remember correctly. Um, and yeah, it, this movie, it just sort of, God, it, it, almost made me sick. Like I had to look away from the screen several times during this movie because uh, I get what they're trying to do with it, but just as a, a stylistic flourish, that is my least favorite thing. So if you're very, very sensitive to that, there are a lot of those moments in waves and maybe uh, don't see it in the theater unless you want to vomit in your aisle. But, um, but yeah, that's waves. I, I would, yeah, again, recommend it, but uh, with that caveat about the <laughs> the spinning camera. Uh, uh, um, unless you want to vomit in the aisle, like like someone's going to choose that. I'll choose that option. I mean, I, I'm just talking about for people who yeah, are yeah, especially know. sensitive to this. But uh, okay, so then I also saw the Good Liar, which is uh, directed by Bill Condon and stars Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren. I didn't know much about this. I saw a trailer with you, Peter, back at CinemaCon earlier this year, and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And I hadn't really given it much of a second thought since, but I, I remember being intrigued by the premise and uh, and interested in seeing Ian McKellen, who is playing against type here as sort of like a, a skeezy uh, type of guy. And I was excited about that. And uh, this movie is just, it's it's a basic movie. I was trying to describe it to my wife afterwards, like what, what, what do I even say about this movie? And I think I just settled on, it is a, it's a basic ass movie. There's like, there's not much to it beyond, uh, watching Helen Mirren and, um, Ian McKellen who are both great. And I mean, great in general, but I'm like fine here, but this is just like, it's a plain movie. Like this is a movie you should not go see. You should not pay to see this in theaters. Watch it on a plane if you have nothing else to watch. It's one of those kinds of movies. And I don't want to really talk about it much more than that because I honestly don't think it deserves to be talked about much more than that. There's one narrative choice that really uh, rubs me the wrong way. And I, whereas Waves is a movie that I like more and more uh, as I get away, you know, the further I get away from it, The Good Liar is one that I like less the further I get away from it. So um, take that as you will. And then finally, uh, I saw Ford versus Ferrari, which... I think it's one of my favorite movies of this year. I really, really liked this movie a lot. Um, Matt Damon and Christian Bale are uh, the stars of it. They are both incredible. Uh, James Mangold, who is coming off of Logan. Um, James Mangold, I, I feel like, is one of the, maybe one of the most underrated directors in Hollywood. He's just, like, constantly been a solid filmmaker. I, I don't know... I'll have to go back and, and really see if I can back up this claim. But I, I don't know if he's made like an out and out bad movie. I feel like everything he's done has been either solid on the low end to really great and like borderline masterful, like Ford versus Ferrari. So, um, yeah, this movie is coming out very soon. I would very, very much recommend it. It's uh, I, I didn't I don't know anything about cars and I could not care less about racing and i hate nascar and all that stuff and this movie does such a good job of of investing you in the characters journeys and y y you don't need to know anything about 
that world to enjoy this movie to its you know its its fullest extent. So um, Ford versus Rai, go see it. Uh, tell everybody to see it. It's very very good. Cool. HT, what have you been watching this week? I watched Charlie's Angels, which is the new reboot directed by Elizabeth Banks and starring Kristen Stewart, Naomi Scott, and Ella Belinska. And uh, this is a movie that I had some trepidation going into because the trailers were just so bad. And Elizabeth Banks has not really proven herself to me as a good director yet. And while she still has a ways to go, Charlie's Angels is not bad, guys. It has a very surface-level interpretation of female empowerment, and it thinks itself a little bit uh, cheekier and wittier than it is, but it's a lot of fun, and it's pretty harmless fun at that. Um, Kristen Stewart especially really saves this movie because she is probably best described as like a pure force of chaotic, sapphic energy just being hilarious she's hilarious she has a little bit of slaps going for her and she's just incredibly incredibly and gloriously gay and it is so fun just to watch her and um she ella Blinska too also impressed me this is her first major feature film role i think she's been in a couple other films but she's quite good in this as sort of like the straight woman to kristen stewart's just chaotic hothead and um i had a lot of fun with this movie despite it being you know mostly fine um i was a little disappointed in the um the comedy of this movie it's a lot of the jokes didn't land and this is something that i expected more of from elizabeth banks who's a really great comedian um but she elizabeth Banks does does pull off a couple of pretty decent um sort of heist scenes that play really well and um it feels for a lot of the movie that she's kind of holding herself back and doesn't want to give in to sort of like the hamminess inherent in charlie's angels as or at least how i sort of see the franchise after the mcg movies but um it kind of lets loose a little bit later on and becomes more fun so this is a movie yeah it's not it's not bad guys it's um it's pretty good if anything see it for kristen stewart just being very uh, gloriously, unapologetically gay. I- I'm so shocked that this movie isn't bad because I was so disappointed by Pitch Perfect 2, which was directed by by her, and uh, the, the, the marketing for this just looks so horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's... I'm it's not I'm, I won't say it's like a great yeah. movie but um it's definitely better than the trailer suggests. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you're I, not you're not alone either. Like it's like 65% mm-hmm. of Rotten Tomatoes which is technically fresh. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> technically fresh. It's like yeah, 1 it point the... away from being rotten. But... Yeah. They're going to put but, that on the poster um, yeah. I think. Pitch Perfect 2 was like straight up <laughs> offensive but um uh, this what one are you was... guys talking about? I cannot. All right, hang on. I was I was about I was considering whether or not I should say something to oh, Peter no. about Pitch Perfect Two. But, Pitch Perfect Two is awful. Then I decided it's to leave horrible. it that. But I I can't stand both of you talking bad about this no. movie. It's better than the first one. What do you guys are oh, talking about? Oh, what? Are you crazy, Ben? Hold on, hold on, Ben. <laughs> Pitch Perfect Two is one of the worst sequels ever made. Oh, oh wow. Let's all calm down, folks. Please, <laughs> please. <laughs> Ben, Pitch Perfect 2 is trash. No, it is not. It wow, is, all right. Were you high when you are watching it? Nowhere near <laughs> as clever or good as the first one. Even even the songs aren't as good as the first one. No, wow. just no. The storyline wow. is like utter a mess. Garbage. Yeah. The comedy is terrible. Wow, wow. By, by the way, not not to go by Rotten Tomatoes ratings, but I brought, brought up Rotten Tomatoes ratings. Pitch Perfect 1 is certified fresh at 80%. And Pitch Perfect 2, I think, is like 64%. So, 
Yeah. I yes, but how do you all feel about Pitch Perfect three? I have not. I give up. <laughs> I also terrible. He was so also bad. Terrible. Also bad. Look, the the first movie has <laughs> one of the most boring love stories that I've ever seen between Anna Kendrick and Skylar Aston, and that's why the second one is better because it completely it separates that terrible love story and he's barely in the movie and it it focuses on her with this group of girls who you really care about from the first movie anyway so all right well i'll, I'll we'll let listeners decide i guess but clearly uh, ben loves water park montages more than filmmaking <laughs> i will oh, say i will so say that water park montages <laughs> I, I love water park montages in in movies like it seems like that was a big thing in the 80s it's, was it though? I water park. Mon- it was Bill and Ted's. Bill and Ted's I thought you were like telling a joke where you were like, "I love water park montages." <laughs> that doesn't sound like an actual thing. I do like like Bill and Ted excellent, excellent Adventure. There's like a and there's a ton of movies that like had maybe not water parks but like water slides, like Goonies and that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Are okay. water sliding the Goonies? I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah when they go in, like towards the end, when they get into like, the big cavern. I blocked that movie out of my memory. It's yeah, bad. Great movie. You guys you are should, wrong. Chris. Goonies is worse than Pitch Perfect 2. Oh, my God. You guys are wrong. chaos. This episode is chaos. Okay, we've been derailed. Ishi, what else have you been watching? Um, another movie that is better than its trailers is Dark Waters. This is the Todd Haynes movie starring Mark Ruffalo, Anne Hathaway, Tim Robbins, Bill Pullman. Um, and it uh, follows Mark Ruffalo's lawyer as he exposes the corporate uh, cover-ups and fraud uh linked to the dumping of toxic chemicals into the um, the waters and water supplies of this West Virginia sort of um, town. And um, it's based off of the true story of um, the uh, New York Times Magazine article, The Lawyer Who Became DuPont's Worst Nightmare. And this is a movie that, you know, seems a little bit trite at first because it does follow uh, a lawyer who's in this classic David and Goliath story uh, that's like would be an inspirational biopic but um, it's actually it's actually a solid uh, whistleblower corporate conspiracy movie it leans a lot into those darker paranoid conspiracy thriller roots that Todd Haynes has pulled from and it's a very angry and bleak movie and yet has this uh, quite optimistic through line about always fighting the good fight Uh, Mark Ruffalo is excellent in it Anne Hathaway has a lot of wigs (laughs) which get increasingly worse throughout the film but um, it's it's solid and I would actually uh, recommend it as for people who really enjoyed films like Spotlight and um, other sort of not flashy corporate thrillers, but movies that have something to say and sort of lay it all on the line about like what that message is uh, without trying to be too sort of uh, showy about it. And Dark Waters definitely is that. It's it's just a it's a good, solid corporate thriller that um, ha- is cr- really quite um, emboldening and galvanizing in just like the the information that it uncovers and how it's still ongoing today. Very cool. What what else have you been watching? 
I also watched this uh, Chinese animated movie called White Snake. It's uh, G Kid's first Chinese animated film. It's coming soon to U.S. theaters uh, in the select theaters this week and next week. And it's based off of the Chinese folklore tale, uh, The Legend of the White Snake, um, which is a story about a man who falls in love with this woman who's actually a demonic snake and um they are tricked by a monk who um and uncovers her identity and uh it's about sort of that tragic love through uh the obstacles but white snake the film is actually a prequel to this story and um is really beautifully animated it's one of the most gorgeously animated films i've seen this year um the story itself is um a little bit like a mix between uh castle in the sky of the Hayao Miyazaki films with maybe a little how to train your dragon it ho- it has a lot of influences from other films on its sleeves and so and thus kind of ends up feeling not like a singular movie in it on its own it just has a lot of um it wears too many of its influences to feel really coherent. Um, and it also has like three false starts, which was a, a little frustrating. But the animation is really gorgeous and um, worth a watch from just from that point of view. It has it's a 3D animated film, but it, it at some points it feels like it um, imitates calligraphy and sort of uh, Chinese art in a way that is really stunning. So that is White Snake, which is coming soon to the select theaters in L.A. and New York. Uh, another movie I watched recently on Netflix is Master Z, The Ip Man Legacy. And this is a spinoff of the Ip Man series, which stars uh, Donnie Yen. It, uh, Donnie Yen doesn't appear in this spinoff, but... Um, I um I didn't really have many expectations for Master Z. Uh, the Ip Man movies are fun, sort of. Um, I've always kind of seen them as these jingoistic, uh, inspirational retreads of Rocky IV, in which Johnny Donnie Yen saves China with his fists in every movie with some sort of American wrestler or martial arts fighter stunt, uh, stunt cast in the films, and. Uh, the Western actors are never really great in the man films either. It's just very, I wouldn't call it, should I say propaganda? It does kind of veer towards the propaganda side. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And uh, so the Ip Man movies are fun, but a little bit on the propagandist agitprop side. But I was surprised to find out that Master Z, the man legacy rules. It's... (laughs) It is a lot of fun, and um, it actually gets to be the the superhero movies that the Ip Man movies kind of uh, want to be or aspire to be, because despite the Ip Man films positioning Donnie Yen's Ip Man as this national hero, it does have to kind of stick to and abide by the actual real-life figure's life. If Man is, um, if you don't know, the teacher of Bruce Lee and is one of like those beloved Chinese figures. Um, so they have to kind of stick by some of the more um, predictable uh, by parts of his uh, life story. But Master Z, the Ip Man legacy, just kind of goes off with this anti-hero character who is introduced in Ip Man 3 and... Get, that allows him to be sort of that superhero origin story slash wild western that Hitman movies always wanted to be. And it's it's so fun. It has a real creative vision. This is um 
directed by uh, Yun Wu-Ping, and it stars uh, Zhang Jin as uh, Marshall Kwan, who is the, the character introduced in Ip Man 3 and gets this film in Master Z, Ip Man Legacy. And it's just, it's, it's, it's so fun, and the, the fights are so dynamic and thrilling. Michelle Yeoh and um, uh, Zheng Jin have this really great scene between them that's just the two of them passing this teacup between each other, but they do it in such a flowing, elegant, and suspenseful way that it becomes one of the best sequences of the film. And um, Dave Bautista is the sort of requisite American stunt cast of the film, but he actually tries and gives an effort and um, is outacts all of his previous stunt cast predecessors, actually tries to give him some sort of emotion and um, depth, which is really enjoyable to watch. So Master Z, If Man Legacy, is uh, just like a real pleasant surprise to watch. And I would say better than most of the it man movies actually wow. just be by just by virtue of it like being able to go buck wild with its character and go really genre heavy it's a western but also becomes a little bit noir there's a lot of real vibrant neon lighting in there that makes it just real really visually appealing so um yeah master z if man legacy on netflix I'm adding that to my queue right now <laughs> a lot of fun <laughs> how, how many man movies are they gonna make like i feel like they're, this is a franchise that i never expected to be a big franchise yeah well there's there's three right out right now um and donnie yen has walked away from the franchise multiple times but they brought him back for one more it man four which is coming out i think next year or this later this year in china and then next year uh internationally okay what else have you been watching I watched the documentary One Child Nation, uh, which I think was a big hit at Sundance earlier this year. And this is a, a documentary by Nanfu Wang and Lin Zheng uh, about China's one child policy and the legacy that it kind of um, imparted upon the, the country and the consequences, too, that it left upon its people. And it's a real harrowing watch. Um, it's also, it's a very straightforward documentary. It does, uh, have that sort of personal appeal because, uh, Nanfu Wang, who's the director, um, recently gave birth and she, uh, lived for most of her life under, in China under the one child policy and later moved to the U S and kind of, um, reassessed her own, um, terms or her own sort of like perception of that one child policy while she was living in the US and goes back to her the village where she grew up and sort of looks into how that that policy really affected all of the people around her and her family. Um, and it it but otherwise, it's very straightforward and just kind of tells um, the consequences and like the facts as is. Um, and by doing so, it makes it it really reveals how um, horrifying some of like the the actions were and um, the consequences that it had and also just like the people who are still affected by it generations later. So um, it's definitely a, a must-watch documentary of this year. It's a really important film, and I highly recommend that. That is streaming now on Amazon Prime. That's and, One um, Child Nation. Yes, One Child Nation. And the last thing I saw uh, was a special midnight screening of The Host at the Metrograph. And uh, this was a really, really late night screening. It started at, think, I think it's 11 p.m. And um, I was excited to do this, though, because I actually I hadn't seen The Host in maybe – what did it came It came out um, when I was in middle school. So it's been – 
about uh, six years since I've seen it. No, it came out. No. I think it came on. out in That's 2006. 2006. Right? Yes, 2006. So it's been, yeah, it's been like, what year is it? 13 years since I've seen it. <laughs> and um, the first time I watched it, I watched it like, uh, I do not condone this, but I watched it pirated and online. So it was very fuzzy. And back then, I didn't really have that capacity for watching it sort of from an analytical level. So um, this is just a really good genre film for me. Um, but watching it again on the, th- on the big screen uh, with a small audience, because it's very late at night, was just so uh, eye-opening and enjoyable and to see. And um, I was able to just you know, get so much more out of it than when I'd watched it the first time. Bong, this is Bong Joon-ho's uh, film that launched him onto the international stage. And it's a sort of classic monster movie. It fall, it stars um, Song Kang-ho uh, Kang as the, the sort of um, dopey father who hasn't really amounted to much. And he works a food, food stand near the, um, the Han River. And uh, at at the river, the this monster sort of appears suddenly and starts to kidnap and eat people, one of which is uh, Song Kang-ho's character's daughter. And he and the rest of his family spend the rest of the film trying to find out where she is and bring her back despite the government trying to cover up um, anything to do with this monster whatsoever. And it's actually inspired by real-life events. It, uh, Bong Joon-ho took inspiration from the real-life Dumping of chemicals by U.S. chemical companies into the Han River and uh, made a monster film out of it. No monster was actually made from the real life <laughs> chemical dumpings, but um, this is such a great genre film that uh, very deservingly got Bong Joon Ho uh, to be compared to Steven Spielberg. It's um, kind of the opposite of Jaws, though, because unlike Jaws, this is the one of the films where you see the monster straight away, they kind of dive right into seeing that monster and what he does. But um, rather than it being about that monster, it actually becomes about this family. And um, it is a family drama and it's a really heartfelt movie at that. Um, and uh, yeah, seeing it again, was able, I was able to just like appreciate that family drama more and um, see again, the class issues and the, um, the indicting of, of the class hierarchy that Bong Joon-ho loves to do in all his films. So that was really cool to see at the Metrograph at midnight. Very cool. Uh, moving on to what we've been eating this week. I went to Disneyland because I do that often. I went to Disney California Adventure. They do this thing called the Festival of Holidays, which is basically like the food and wine festival, but for the holiday season. So they have food and drink offerings be, uh, inspired by the holidays, including Christmas and Hanukkah and other things from around the world. Uh, this year they had eight booths. I think it was down from like 10 or 12 from last year. Uh, Kitra and I and a couple of our friends, uh, we made a video, which is on Ordinary Adventures. I'll link it in the show notes. But basically we ate Every single food item that was at this festival of holidays, that's 18 separate food items. Um, so you can watch that video and watch us uh, over the course of like uh, seven or eight hours uh, eat a lot of food and uh, find out what is good and what is not. Uh, if you are in Southern California and you are an annual pass holder or not even an annual pass holder, if you just like food, I highly recommend checking out the festival of holidays. Uh, there's some really good food there. 
So, Brad, what have you what have you been eating this week? Uh, just one holiday treat, and I I don't think it's actually new. I just think somehow I hadn't tried it yet. Um, but around the holidays, there's a special version of the Pepperidge Farm Milano cookie that is uh, candy cane flavored. It has a mix of like a peppermint kind of red chocolate, or at least red dyed chocolate, uh, with the regular milk chocolate that's on the Milano cookie. Uh, and it's pretty good. The It's not quite as uh, minty as the, the mint chocolate Milano that you can get normally on shelves. Um, it's, it's a little more of a subtle mint taste. And it's, it's they're pretty good. As somebody who enjoys the combination of chocolate and mint as a flavor, uh, I liked it. So if you see it around the Christmas cookie and candy section, you should pick some up. Okay. Let's move on to what we've been playing. Chris, you got a Nintendo Switch? I did. I'm not uh, much of a gamer, but I really wanted to play Untitled Goose Game. (laughs) So I basically got Nintendo Switch just for that, although I'll I'll probably use it for other stuff too, obviously. But um, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) It is as fun as everyone says it is. You play as a horrible goose and you run around a small town destroying things. And it's cute and harmless and a lot of fun and i actually beat the the steer you know there's there's like a, a normal progression and i beat that and then at the end once the credits roll it says now here's some extra stuff you could do and i haven't started that yet so i'll probably get around to it eventually but until deuce game it's fun <laughs> chris i'm so glad that you find you know, it feels like you find joy in things so rarely these days. But playing as <laughs> playing as an asshole goose in a video uh, game, I just imagine you sitting there and smiling, and it brings a smile to my face. I, I just want to stress the importance of Chris finally playing this game because he has been excited about Untitled Goose Game for longer than any of us, and has been talking it up in the Slack for months, years. Yeah. I don't know, <laughs> and it's just like it feels like. Uh, of you know a moment of catharsis right here you're finally doing it chris you finally achieved your dreams that's right now it's all downhill from here (laughs) (laughs) uh jacob what have you been playing this week Uh, i'm hooked on ring fit adventure it's a nintendo switch game uh, made by nintendo and it's the first exercise video game i think it's worth a damn uh i mean there have been exercise games on the wii the wii u uh microsoft connect had them they've all been either a bad exercise or a bad game and uh, Ring Fit Adventure is the first one that succeeds in being a good game while giving you an actually good workout. It's an $80 package because it comes with the game itself, uh, a leg strap, and a Pilates wheel. And what you do is you have the Joy-Cons, the two um, Nintendo Switch controllers. You slot one in to the wheel and one to the leg strap. And it does an incredible job of uh, measuring your body because uh, you, know, you can push and pull on the ring and position above your head or in front of you. Um, the, the leg strap, you know, tells the game uh, if you're lifting a leg or if you're running or jogging in place. And there are m- many modes. There's an adventure mode, which is called, which is essentially a long-term workout plan disguised as an RPG, where you literally go on a quest uh, um, to defeat a dragon. <laughs> and it's all uh, you fight monsters, you gain experience points, and you fight monsters by doing exercises, by like you know, oh, you're doing squats, and you're hitting the enemy every time you do a squat, or you are doing overhead press with the wheel. And every overhead press is is a um, hit on the enemy. And there are boss battles, and you collect coins, and you buy stuff from shops. And it's really addictive. I mean, uh, after each session, I am generally worn out. Um, 
I mean, I've been doing a lot of exercising over the past year, as we discussed on this uh, podcast, but this one is a lot of stuff I don't do a lot of. There's additional cardio stuff, there's calisthenics, there's yoga, and it is a really good complement to what I've been doing already. And if you're somebody who's looking for like a casual way to stay active and to stay in shape, it is an in- really ingeniously designed thing. I'm really impressed by it as a game and really impressed by how it manages to really be encouraging and positive. It, like it gives out good advice about lifestyle uh, and exercise choices. <laughs> it It is very uh, helpful. It tracks all your information so you can see, see uh, what kind of progress you're making. If you don't want to do the adventure mode, you can design your own workout routines, like make custom lists. You can access any exercise in the game as a one-off. There are a bunch of, there are dozens of little mini games that just require um, strength exercise of various kinds, like to do like to like get points and do fun things. It is a really fascinating package, and it's not replacing my workout by any means. But I'm, I'm at it every day. I, I now do my every morning. I wake up and I do um, strength training and cardio, and every night before I go to bed, I do uh, half hour ring fit adventure. And if you have a Nintendo Switch and you want a way to stay active, this is just I, I'm really really impressed by it. I'm looking forward to playing again tonight. Very cool. And that's only available on Nintendo Switch? Only available on Nintendo Switch because it requires you to have the um, motion sensor controllers to slot into the, into the accessories. Okay. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashHome.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashHome.com. And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. Good job, hey, everybody. Hey, Peter, good, good job. Peter, it was a Peter, great episode. What? Peter. 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 Yeah. Peter. J- Jacob? Peter. Don't you have, like, some Ring Fit adventure to do? Oh, I have lots of things to do. I have a backlog of emails. I have features to edit. I have uh, articles I need to take a look at. I need a schedule I need to adjust. But first. Oh, th- that sounds like a lot. Okay. We can call it yeah, a day, it's, then. It's, it's been a very busy week at Slashroom.com. I've been really overwhelmed. Uh, but. I come to my favorite part of the week, the part that makes it all worth it. When I open the gargantuan <laughs> book of insults, offense, and affrontery, sharp retorts, reposts, caustic quips, and impolite put-downs by Louis A. Safian. Do we have to? Yes. Uh, I've opened up to page 246, the chatterboxes section. Hey, Peter, on the witness stand, you swore to tell the truth and the whole truth, but not to stop there. Uh... And Ben, oh, that Ben, he's as gabby as a barber. <laughs> that's that's pretty weak, even for Louis A. Safian. Brad, his feelings get terribly hurt when you talk when he's interrupting. That's true. Everyone needs to shut the fuck up. <laughs> HT, she's sure to be an old maid. She'll never quit talking long enough for any man to kiss her. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Wow. And, and no woman is worth a damn unless she's kissed. <laughs> uh, Chris, he's the kind of man who would be enormously improved by laryngitis. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs>